Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Now look at my front butt. Vietnamese. Do we get to win the war 
I don't care. But there was always some punks, Hispanic gangs, Colombian drug wards, Cuban insurgents, uh, Russians. The evil foreigner was a big gimmick in the 80s. Even in wrestling, you had the evil Russians. And you had Colonel De Beers. If you want to know what wrestler would probably be number one on the Nope, they wouldn't do his gimmick again today. Look up Colonel De Beers on Colonel De Beers promos on the YouTube. Oh boy. But that's just me talking, but a Rambo film without Dingoism, without Rambo killing foreigners. That's just been part and parcel of the Rambo film franchise. I'm sorry, if you can't turn your brain off and ignore stupid crap like that, what the hell are you doing watching an R-rated 80s-based action film? I'm sorry. You need to go start watching your Marvel, safe Marvel movies again without the evil foreigners in it. Thank you. Now I want to get off my soapbox here before Princess takes it from me. And now let's get started. A lot of this is just stuff that I didn't see during the summer, and I'm glad I got. Sorry, I was getting setting up. Okay. The first one, aka the first one on top of the stack is... Keanu Reeves, John Wick, Free Parabellum. It was good. Even though the fact that the person that you wanted to get killed the most didn't get killed in it. I wanted to see this adjuster woman get killed every five minutes. I, every five seconds she was on screen, I was like, kill this oppressive white bitch. And I wanted to see the black guy who, the concierge, I want to see him in the movie, Mark, because he's just badass. This is everything you'd want in a movie, action movie. Overdone action stunts. Uh, every kind of, almost every kind of food you could think of. Horse food, motorcycle food. Throwing knife foo, knife foo, gun foo, kung foo, Mark, Mark Damascus playing Sonny Chiba in Kill Bill foo, Keanu Reeves redoing the scene from The Good and the Bad and the Ugly, where Tuco puts his gun together foo, Holly Berry actually not being bad for once, the dog. Two do- Holly Berry's two dogs making up in qual- quantity what Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has in quality dog ripping off nut shots. It's just action insanity, and at least you set up for the fur fourth one. Owen, oh, it's Lawrence Fishburne. It's nice to see you play a badass again. It's so nice to see the 90s badass 
deep cover era, Lawrence Fishburne back in the movie. We missed you. Now come back and kill some more for us. Please. It leaves you wanting more, and that's what a good thing should do. But setting up for an ending with the fourth one, and I hope to God they do, because right now they're stretching the story a little bit. But Mark Damascus and Mad Dog and the Killer from the Raid, this damn. Damascus is just so fucking awesome in this. Just talking like a fanboy. Oh, you're John Wick? I'm your biggest fan. You know what? If I didn't have to kill you, we'd be buddies, I bet. <laughs> it's fun if you've seen the other two, because John Wick 3 is where, with most franchises with a continuing storyline, there's an exact point, and you can usually time it where if you haven't seen the other films, you're freaking lost. John Wick 3 is that point. Because it expects you to already see the first two movies. Because if you haven't or you don't remember the first two movies that good, you're going to be very, 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 very confused. Like, what the hell? Why are they killing each other for? I mean, I don't mind them, but what the hell? And I would give it three dogs ripping off nuts out of five. No boobies in it. But, hey, the girls in the 30s clothes with the tattoos and stuff, they're pretty damn sexy. Moving on to one of the better and most disappointing movies of the summer, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. After the first Godzilla, which was good, but it was so goddamn dark, you couldn't see anything. But it did leave us with the great line, nukes, bitches, all of the nukes. This is the third film, because King Kong Skull Island is just pure badassery from top to bottom. You got Tom Hiddleston on a dead animal skull with a frickin' giant howitzer killing monsters. You can't get better than that. Godzilla tries, but you can't get... So far, you can't get better than that. In this one, there's the good peoples and the bad peoples. The good peoples are pissed off because their families and sons got killed in the first film. And the bad peoples want to bring back all the monsters. Why? I don't know. I'm still confused about that. Someone's going to have to set me down with a billboard to give me the plot intricacies of this damn movie. And it's one of those that's like, hey, we got the cool TV star of the TV movie star of the moment type film. Because it's got the girl from Needful Things who plays Eleven. And the whole movie is focused on her. And I don't mind, 
but I don't go see Godzilla, King of the Monsters, to see humans. I go to see Rodan, Mothra, Ghidorah, and a whole lot of other monsters just tear shit up. And the scenes where we get to see all of the monsters tear shit up, that lives up to your promise. Because you're just sitting there like, yeah, the killing things, this is what I like. Oh, God, we got to get back to this bullshit. And, of course, <clears throat> there's two things, three things that are mentioned that makes me suspicious about Charles Dance's band. One is when we've caught, we've been studying this monster in the volcano, for a while, it's an alien creature. We call it Monster Zero. And then they show a file from them later, and it's called Monster X. So, in the next film, if if they don't turn out to be aliens, I'll be shot. But the monsters themselves is cool, and you can actually get to see Godzilla in this one. He's in the movie more, but you actually get to see him. There's light. It's like, oh, my God, I'm not blind anymore. It ain't shit next to Aliens vs. Predator, Predator well, Requiem on the, what the fuck? I can't see shit. Scale. Alien vs. Predator, Predator Requiem is like 11 on that scale. But it's fun. We get to know a little more about Monarch after John Goodman. We shouldn't be saying that. And we get to see all of these famous stars of the moment and them trying to sell the movie not on the freaking star of the movie, but on these humans. And all the complaints about the human characters being bland and not that good are pretty much true. Because I wanted to see the king. I wanted to see Ghidorah. I wanted to see Godzuki, Godzilla. I wanted to see Mothra. I wanted to see Rodan. But the moment when Mothra shanks Rodan from the back is a pretty beautiful moment. I'm always up from a good old-fashioned grab someone around the neck behind the back prison shanking, even if it is from a 10-foot-tall moth. That's just me. And Godzilla, if you're Godzilla in that, you're going to love it. But if you are not, then you'll probably give it like a and moving on. Ah, this is one from last year that no one's seen, that I've seen back in January on the PP Views. And I just picked it up because I just want, love to have it to watch you whenever I wanted to without worrying about my Wi-Fi signal being good. And that is Bad Times at the El Royale. If you love The Cabin in the Woods and the way it told its story, 
you're going to love Bad Times at the El Royale because it's the same guy. This is your basic five people end up in a place and each of them are mysterious with their own secrets and the whole movie is about finding out what their secrets are. And they do pull some good whoppers of a hell of twists in this. Very good, very acting with standouts from uh, Jeff Bridges, of course, John Hamm, uh, whoever plays the bellboy because of his turn at the end. I'm just like, damn. And Chris Helmsworth plays Hemsworth, sorry, plays a pretty good Manson character. He's the first Manson character I've ever seen that looks like an actual good-looking person and not just this, not Manson. But, yeah, the twists come fast and furious, and it's set in this hotel based on uh, the border hotel that's situated in between the border of California and Las Vegas. Because if you had a casino in Vegas, you couldn't sell liquor in it back in the 60s. But once the mob got that change changed, the money started rolling in. But the way it is, you couldn't gamble in California, but you could buy booze. So they had this special hotel fix on uh, state at the State Line Hotel where... The hotel was split in the middle between California and uh, Las Vegas where you could go and gamble and then go over and drink. And it all be legal. But then there's who owns the hotel and that's another one of the few twists, another one of the twists. The less you know about this going in before you watch it, the better you'll be. Great soundtrack, great acting, just a good little thriller, four out of five stars. And I would definitely recommend you seeing it at least once. Because Bad Times at the El Royale is good times for the movie viewer. Oh, do I want to tackle this next? Uh, what the hell? Okay, in 1979 came out... One of the biggest box office successes that pretty much walked up to the new Hollywood movement and just, blam, shot it right in the frickin' head. And that movie would be about Colonel Willard, played by Martin Sheen, and his journey into Vietnam to kill Colonel Kurtz, played by Marlon Brando, and that would be... Apocalypse Now. When this first came out, this was a roadshow picture. That means it was done in a large screen. It was the first film to be commercially released in the theaters with Dolby 5.1 stereo. So it would blow your ass back in the theater. And there wasn't no credits. They would give you a booklet, 
as you were going in that would have all the credits and pictures and things like that. It was sold as an event. And it made us money back, but not as much as they wanted it to. And it didn't win the Oscars, it did, and it pretty much bankrupted Francis Ford Coppola. And it's one of the most those movies where the story about making it is almost and is more insane than the measure of insanity that's on screen. This set, the final cut, which is a new cut that he came out, with Dolby Atmos and all that, and it will blow your ass to the back of the room and you'll have to peel yourself off the wall just to get thrown back against it like, ah, motherfucker, get your ass back on that wall. It's, and the reason I got it is, well, it was the 4K set and it's only 20 bucks, so, hey, I get a Blu-ray along with the 4K set. I get a Blu-ray with Final Cut on its own. A second Blu-ray with the theatrical cut and the Apocalypse Now Redo, which was the three-hour-plus cut. A uh, final cut is the middle film with about two hours and 50 minutes. And it's the best playing of all three cuts. The second half makes a hell of a lot more sense. There's only two scenes I would have put back in it that's not in it. And that would be uh, the scenes showing the final fate of Scott Glenn. Well, the scene that shows the final fates of Scott Glenn and uh, Dennis Hopper. But that's included in the special features. This move, this set has everything but the kitchen sink. It has like extras, extras examining what Dolby 5.1 is, how they created the stereo mix, the screwy TV version, which I've seen because I actually watched it on TV the very first time they showed it on there, the only time it's been shown, for some reason ABC switched the end credits of the film with the front credits of the film. So the movie would open up with the title cards. The only title cards in the movie were showed their names. But it would end with them going up the river and then uh, Willer turning off the radio and then you get to see them blow the chase up with the end. <laughs> so when I finally seen it uncut about a couple of years later on VHS, I was like, what the Fuck you, this shit. Some can't get some son of a bitch did not rewind the tape. You what the hell? They rewound the tape. And back then, it wasn't easy 
to get information, if you found something screwy like a different print or different taglines or anything like that. So it took me like five or so more years till I found Danny Perry's cult movie book to find out that they had severely screwed with the movie. So, and uh, I think it was not, I ain't digging up looking through the set, but in the late 90s, the well, in the 2000s, because it's after Blue DVD came out, he came out with the reduced version, which is three hours. And there's a whole lot of useless shit in the film. Some of the most useless is where they found the Playboy Playmate, Crashed plane, uh, crashed in the jungle because of lack of fuel, and now they trade two hours with the playmates for some fuel. And that's the scene where Lawrence Fishburne, there's that name again, actually lost the virginity for real because he lied to him and told him that he was 17 when he was actually 14. <laughs> But, yeah, and in the 90s, a documentary came out. And that documentary is worth buying a $20 set as is, Hearts of Darkness. I'll just say the opening lines that fades to black with, at the bottom it reads, actual phone calls from Francis Ford Coppola. That goddamn motherfucker had a stroke? That son of a bitch. He's going to fucking kill me. He's going to fucking kill me. I'll blow out my goddamn brains with a gun if he dies. And it gets more insane from there. Gee, it's one of those your jaw drops. It's like pure insanity as a movie. And no matter how much you've seen all the parodies, all of the uses of the great lines from this movie. Nothing beats actually seeing the movie. And Final Cut, and on the Blu-ray or the 4K, is the best way to watch it. And it's cheap. $20 for, if you're getting it for the Blu-rays, a four-disc set with two discs full of the movie, with the movies, and two discs full of extras, with the fourth disc being Hearts of Darkness, of Feldbaker's Journey. A must-get set and a must-see set. I liked it. I fell in love with the film again. And for once, the second half of the damn movie works. That made my jaw drop. And next is one I got out because it's James Gunn. And usually James Gunn, anything <sighs> sorry, that he works on is good. And this is Brightburn. And it's what if Superman was a horny psycho who didn't have the lessons that Pa Kent taught Superman in Man of Steel. 
And basically, it's good. It's short, it's good, and it's creepy as hell. And it's basically got Superman as a psycho, an uncontrolled psycho who knows that he's not human. And once his hormones kicks in, Jesus, it's got some nice splatter in it. It's just a great little horror film. It's one of those we'd rent the shit out of it on VHS and just love the hell out of it. And the ending is hilarious, too, because they sort of set up two other DC characters. And this is one of the darkest damn Superman stories I've ever seen. I liked it. It's a fun little horror film. Superman is a psycho, a.k.a. Brightburn. I I don't know if it's a must-see, but if you like your horror or you like or you want to see Superman is not the big red, big blue boy scout, this is one to see. And next, the dead don't die. If you go in, this is your basic zombie comedy in a town. But if you go into it expecting a zombie comedy, you're going to be disappointed or pissed off. But if you realize that it's a Jim Jarmusch movie, underlying Jim Jarmusch, 20 times, and you've seen the kind of quirky humor he uses in films like Mystery Train, uh, Dead Man, uh, Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai, Only Lovers Survive. You'll understand what kind of quirky trip you're into it. And Adam Driver and Bill Murray just work great together. And it's got one of the best, and it makes fun of the whole social important thing of Dawn of the Dead and films that want to be Romero films. We're one of the best in lines ever. Yep, it's sad what happened up Yeah, they died kind of brutally. Ain't life a motherfucker. <laughs> And the credit song to this plays about 10 to 20 times. And Adam Driver's character even stops at a flea market and buys the damn soundtrack. Just so it could there. And it has my comedy line of the year. Adam Driver looks right at Bill Murray and goes, this is when we get out and fight him. How do you know? Jim gave me the whole script. Oh, okay. (laughs) And moving on to Five Nights at Larry's the movie, or as we know it, Banana Splits the movie. They 
fire the banana splits, the robots go crazy, they start killing the fuck out of some motherfuckers. I wish it was more than that, but that's what it is. And if that idea of the banana splits that we used to watch as a kid, the Sid Marty Croft robot costume characters going on a fucking murder, freaking murder rampage, it pushes your buttons, then you're going to love this movie. It's your basic no-budget sci-fi fodder. My biggest gripe is there's no chapter been used, no trailer, no nothing. It's one of those that could have been a hell of a lot better if they had just put just uh, just a bit more effort into it. But it's still fun if you catch it on Sci-Fi or any cable channels. I'd recommend it. But you might like the movie more than me, so who knows. And next is the one that I consider the second best film of this summer. If it had Elton John ripping people's balls off like the dog does in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, this would be the number one. But it's number two, and it's raw, it's nasty, it's brutal, it's a great musical. It's basically, it's a Ken Russell musical. It's the best Ken Russell musical he never made, and that's Rocket Man. A very great, honest, brutal film. And it's a and it's the fantasy story with a hell of a lot of truth about Elton John's. Uh, career from the 70s to the 90s. And just seeing that, how rough a life he lived as a kid, and all he wanted was love and acceptance from his parents, and all they gave him was a whole bunch of shit. Until he found his real family, which was uh, Bernie Toppin and... His uh, current husband and their two kids. This is full of, this is a decadent movie too. It's full of uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And the scene where he goes crazy in the orgy has some of the most fucked up and disturbing visuals of the whole film if you really can catch it. Like everything turns red and it shows like Elton in the middle of an orgy. And then if you look up behind, you start seeing a lot of the people who go there turn into AIDS patients. And you start seeing their skin get the gray splotches and all that. It has balls to spare. I loved it. I recommend it. And you kids of the 70s. Your nostalgia is probably a hell of a lot more cooler than most generations. And I would recommend seeing that if you're gay. I'd recommend seeing that if you like Elton John's music or just 70s rock, period. This is just a great movie. 
and it's certified fresh by Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, fuck Rotten Tomatoes. And it comes with a little book, book too. That's Rocket Man. And the number three drive-in film of all time takes place about 40 minutes away from my little town. And it's about Buford Pusser, and that would be Walking Tall, the trilogy. They had it for nine bucks. And it has all three movies and a decent amount of extras. What happened was is when Walking Tall came out, Buford Puster was pretty much made a hero, but everyone I know that wasn't on the good side of town thought Buford Puster was just a son of a bitch. He was a short guy who had just, Retired from being a professional wrestler, and he would, once he was elected, he'd walk around with a big stick of hickory and just beat the hell out of anyone he thought was a moonshiner or a drug runner or that just pissed them off. And he only got one term in the office because that's how much of an unlikable son of a bitch he was. But they got three films out of it. One film that's pretty much the truth, the first one, and then volume two, which is about 40% the truth, and the rest bullshit, and the third one, which is like 99.99% bullshit. I love it. It's perfect. It's drive-in. If you don't like it, then kiss my butt. Okay, next is, well, I just got this because, well, I am an, I am a Chicano, Mexican-American. We finally got us a superhero. Too bad it's just another fucking Punisher ripoff who goes around and kills drug dealers because that's the only kind of evil Mexicans they are. It's got George Lopez as a cop. And then this guy, his brother, gets killed, so he puts on the usual Latino gang mask and starts killing drug dealers until the end of the film where the rest of the drug dealers who don't get killed shoot machine guns up in the air and say they're going to start a war with El Chicano. And that's how the movie ends. It's not that bad. It'll mean a hell of a lot more to you if you are a Mexican-American. But unless you like stuff like that, the Telenovas, Queen of the South, a lot of these sort of Mexican TV type action movies that you see on Netflix or uh, Telemundo, I don't know how this will go with you. Okay, moving on down the line. Uh, this one for last. Next is 
the best film you've never seen last year, and that is Overlord. Real stunts, real flames, real ass-kicking, Kurt Russell's sons, Nazi zombies. Do you need anything more? This is just like ass-kicking with ass, with the ass. This is ass-kicking and a half-kicking sauce with a side order of ass-kicking. It's, it's just damn. And when, and if you're an old-school guy, it once you see that when they start using the flamethrowers and you see that weird glow that you only see when you shoot real flamethrowers on screen in front of a real film... You're going to giggle like a little kid, and if you don't, just turn it off because you won't like Overlord. And Kurt Russell's son is just as much of a badass as Kurt Russell is. This is one of the best B-movie action films of this decade. So get it, watch it, enjoy it, and enjoy the Nazi zombies getting killed. Overlord, you need to see this. Damn it. The Wind. This is one of the creepiest, subtlest films I've seen in a while. It's about a woman who's basically left out of home in a lot because of her husband's job. And she starts getting these weird pamphlets about demons from a preacher, and then a couple moves in, and... It just goes downhill from there. It's very creepy. And if you have heard of it and got to see it at Central Cinema later this year, earlier this year, then thank yourself that you got to see it. Because this has such a euphoric, no, that's a, a euphoric sound mix where you get to hear the wind all the time and you understand why hearing that. incessantly would drive your ass nuts. It's just damn, 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 damn. I, if you're looking for something good and new, I'd recommend either getting a DVD or Blu-ray or going to Shutter and watching it. It's called The Wind. Or if you buy it at Walmart, stupid, stupid title alert, Stupid title alert, The Wind, Demons of the Prairie. Makes me want to bitch slap somebody with that title. And that's my haul. Yes, I got a crap load. I got I got a Thor between a lot and a crap load. Uh, the best of the classic films, I would have to say, is Apocalypse Now. Uh, the best horror film would Wind, and the best and the worst would probably be the Banana Splits, the movie. I'm sorry. Uh, it's not bad. It's just not good, if that makes any sense. So we're going off the air now, and we'll see you tomorrow night as we do the first of our Knoxville Horror Fest episode with 
Girdlerama. We're going to be talking about William Girdler, and we're going to talk about what else we have in store for Halloween month. And we got, I got a shitload of shit already in the works. So, thank you, good night, and if you don't like any of the movies I recommended, don't blame me. Okay, you can blame me, but you got to give me the two bucks in advance. Good night, everybody. Bye.